How can you do all that needs done in life and still pursue your desire to learn French or the guitar or grow a plant or make art? You can't put a fiddle under your pillow and wake up playing it, though how cool would that be? But one thing we can do, no matter how chaotic and overwhelming life can be, is know that every tiny small motion in the direction of those endeavors really do matter. And not only that, they add up over time with great momentum. Join me, Annie Fane Barillon, as I interview painters and gardeners, designers and musicians, photographers and cooks, creative livers of any kind, who have somehow, in the middle of it all, continued on their creative paths, no matter what. This is Fane House Radio, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm Karen Hurtabees. I have a farm in Clay County, Hayesville, North Carolina, where we grow ginger and turmeric. So here we are. It's so exciting to have help. We have a 28-year-old named Graham through a little grant who is learning how to grow ginger and turmeric and works 20 hours a week with us on the farm. And man, oh man, does that make a lot of difference. I'm also a resident artist for nature studies and gardening and soap making and storytelling at the John T. Campbell Folk School. And I go back and forth a lot to Tennessee to see my mama, who's older and want to give her lots of love and attention. And I love being out in nature and I have a great husband and a great dog. Do you consider massage therapy and all of your studies in that realm as creative in a way? Yes, I do. And I've been doing so little massage since the pandemic. My massage practice of 34 years is on the low side. I still have an office. I still have regulars. Yeah, that's very, it has been very, very creative. Uh, It has not been my growing edge lately, except for learning a lot about health. You know, this year I really am working on reversing insulin resistance. I did get off of metformin for diabetes and, you know, had a bunch of weight fall off because of changing how I went to a whole food plant-based diet. And I've been in a group called E4 Alive to reverse diabetes. And I successfully did that and to feel great. I didn't realize how much, you know, I was sort of a happy, heavy person. (laughs) It didn't bug me. I was, I felt good but I feel so much better now. I didn't realize that diabetes piece. Once I got the diabetes diagnosis, I thought, now you have to really pay attention. And it took a little while to figure out what that meant and how to shift that. But I'm in really good groove, making a world of difference. It's still not easy because, you know, our culture, we eat so much of everything that's not good for me. (laughs) And I love it but uh, it doesn't love me back. So if it doesn't love me back, I got to let it go. Well, that's huge. That's really big. It is. It's been a whole huge healing, but it's almost been because of the pandemic. It was so easy. Last year, I learned how to cook at home and I've learned to make great meals, which I was never good at. And it's been a huge change. I always ate good organic homegrown vegetable food and Now I'm learning to make really good whole food plant-based meals. And I'm pretty much good where I don't even do dairy or meat because I didn't realize no one ever taught me that both meat and dairy raise your insulin. It doesn't raise your sugar, but it raises your insulin. And I'm insulin resistant. And that is genetic. 
and the bad habits that I had over my lifetime of eating. And this can take me a while to change that piece, but it's so important. And they have another thing called type three diabetes, which is about your brain and dementia. And there's a lot of that in my family. And so I've really been looking at how blood sugar and insulin resistance affects your brain. I haven't spent a lot of time on that. And I've actually been sharing because a couple of my clients have dementia or their partners have dementia as they've gotten older and I've gotten older. They're in their seventies and eighties. And so I've really been on the dementia train, learning about it and how to take care of your brain and getting that blood sugar regulated is huge. So I feel really happy that by accident, I already got on the good path with that. You were talking a little bit about when you were young and you were wild and free. Um, Not necessarily free. <laughs> okay. Only, wild only. <laughs> and I was just curious if it was during your childhood that you felt the calling towards plants, you know, because that's been in your adult life in such a big way. Yes. I grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where we had a community that had been set up to build the nuclear bomb and do research for World War II. It was called the Secret City because it was built by the government secretly and the original scientists didn't even know where they were. And the community was planned and we had what they called green belts. So behind our little house in East Village, we had tons of forest and Mom and dad back in those days, I was 57, they just let you run outside all day long. <laughs> That's what we did, the whole neighborhood. And we swung off of grapevines. We learned what was safe and wasn't safe without any adults present. And we came back alive. And so we got to go back out again. And yes, I learned a lot about going out in nature. And it remains the place I go to for sustenance and restoration and fun. What was the turning point in terms of growing and farming? I always loved growing things. I had a little garden, even in Tennessee, and my dad kind of helped me. I remember growing corn and tomatoes, and I got very interested out in Oregon after college, well, actually middle of college. I spent a fall going out to Oregon and just found these amazing people and they were very oriented towards growing things. I became very interested in homesteading and as usual, the world looked like a dangerous place. And I thought I need to learn to grow my own food and have my own water. And then I met John out in Oregon. We came to the folk school in 1981 to learn homesteading because we'd both just had this hankering to grow things and have a home. And there was a homesteading school program. Yeah, we arrived and then we just never left. And we eventually bought land and we looked for land that would have a gravity spring. So we do have gravity spring water here on the farm. And, you know, I look at it, Amy Fane, and sometimes it just amazes me your dream kind of creeps up on you. This was our dream and, and I'm living the dream and it's really still something I like. It's not disappointed me and it's not, totally not perfect and it's really wonderful. I love how you're talking about your dreams sneaking up on you and then realizing, oh, 
we're living the dream we meant to. What part do you think the power of accumulation played in that? Was it you had clarity of dream or did you make it up as you went? Or was it because you and your partner are in alignment with those ideas? I think John and I have always been in alignment. And I also feel like we both have a gift of curiosity. And it wasn't like our dreams weren't perpetually challenged where you have the idea of what's going to happen. You just keep adjusting. And in some sense, I'm glad we also had a naivete. We just kept believing. In fact, I love the show Ted Lasso has just come to my mind. We don't have a TV, but with internet, we can cruise everything. And he has this word believe. And that word has so stuck with me because I thought, you know, that has served us, even though we couldn't see how things were going to work out. And even though we didn't always believe they would, another part of us kept acting towards the belief that it would. When we lost our raspberries to a fruit fly, that was a terrible day. I remember going out uh, one day in the fall, I was going to put the sign out for you pick organic raspberries. And it was the first year we would ever made money on the raspberries. And we were finally feeling like now we're in the groove. We're going to make money off of agriculture. And I saw these funny flying ants around the berries and I pulled the berries and they looked kind of mushy. And I thought, what is this? And my heart sank and I Googled it and it was spotted wing drosophila. And pretty much it took out our raspberries. So we never did make a profit off of raspberries and I was going to give up. And I went to a farm conference out in Raleigh with the Carolina Farm Stewardship Association. And there's a woman teaching growing ginger and turmeric and it was so beautiful and I thought well maybe we can do that and we did I won't say we make a lot of money but we probably make three to five dollars an hour which is more than zero and hope springs eternal in the heart of a farmer so you know we both have done other jobs so that we can have a farm and have a little organic agricultural offering and that's almost like our community giveaway. I also feel like I can teach people about how to grow. It turns out to be wonderful herb and spice to grow, uh, good for people. So yeah, so there's just been a whole bunch of gifts that just keep unfolding out of a dream that sometimes it look like a nightmare and then you go back to the dream and you just keep having that curiosity and willingness to stay and to stay. Yeah. It is really hard to stay because number one is painful. <laughs> it hurts, <laughs> but also it's like for a split minute, you think or longer, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when you learn about pivot, even though with the farm, anything, we may not ever make money on it where we could live. I would definitely tell that to young people. Like we have not figured that way out. We saw Wendell Berry in Georgia, and he said people read his books, young people in particular, and they think they can just go out and do the dream of a farm. And he says, don't do that, because farmers he knew that had the land, had the experience, had the roots in it, were losing 
because of the economics of the way the world was turning. And that's why John and I both chose to have professions. And that's how we've sustained ourselves. That is really intense, though, thinking about how hard it is to be a farmer. Yeah, it's been a hard reality to see, but I really came to understand it after going to so many farm conferences that in one of the richest counties of America, one of my favorite teachers of farm in Virginia where the land was already super valuable. Like if they would have sold the land for a development, they would be retired forever, but they kept it willfully as a farm. And still her income was $60,000 a year, Ellen Polishek. She was just incredibly skilled. And she shared her numbers, which most farmers don't like to do because they're so bad. And she had health insurance that they paid for and a retirement plan. And that was in selling vegetables and being like top of her game on everything. And that gave me perspective because my nephew graduated, you know, from college. and That was his starting pay. And I, I just thought, this is the highest. I know massage is more on the back burner for you right now, but also it was something that you offered for over 30 years. Why do you think massage is good for people? I think massage is so good for people on so many levels, like exercise and sleep. The touch is healing because it goes right into your nervous system. The same cells that make your brain and your spinal cord were what originally made your skin as you were a little developing embryo. And there's a definite connection between skin and nervous system. It's very deep and old and original. The same way we comfort people with a hand on their arm or you know a hug, it is the same with a massage. When you do a full body massage from head to toe, a relationship where that person remembers something very deep and important, their being, their presence. And when you get good, there's pains we get in our body. And when you get a massage, you get feedback. Oh, I didn't know my left back thigh was so sore or I had no idea my little toe was hurting people become curious and willing to pay attention to their physical body in a new way. As you're getting a massage, your whole immune system is getting a little boost. People who don't get massage, I think are missing out on something. And I hope they go swimming and get into water because being in water can deliver a similar type of experience and buoyancy is also very beneficial and that water against your skin and your body's very good. There's always the debate inside of us is self-care selfish and the idea of radical self-care and also that self-care is a part of our creative lives. And if we want to be making and doing and feeling good and including all the responsibilities we have the weight of on our shoulders, that self-care is a way to help as a tool even, and it's not selfish as, at all. Yeah, I think it's very unselfish in the sense of both giving and receiving. In families, for instance, when we used to watch, when back in the day in our family, we had one TV and we'd get on my parents' bed and we would tickle each other's back 
and we just sort of lay there like you know on the bed watching the wonderful world of Disney on Sunday nights and it was just a healing sort of thing and I know in our culture touch has been messed up because there's a lot so much inappropriate kind of touch which makes me really sad but there's so much healing touch and that's what we just have to bring back and just claim it radical self-care I'm all about that I feel like that is so important and the other thing I've been learning about, I just got on an interesting uh, podcast. I love Sounds True. They interviewed this woman who talked about co-regulation, how important that is. And it's actually a myth of self-regulation. Our culture values like go off into your closet and kind of figure it out yourself and then come out as a superpower, <laughs> which is how I was raised. You're supposed to figure it out and then come busting out strong. And weakness is not a virtue where you need somebody. And what she says is, actually, we really do biologically require other people, that that's more the truth as they're finding out and how to, you know, empower that. And it's called co-regulation. This woman, Bonnie Vandenock, I've really come anything to understand community really matters your inner community and your outer community what's going on inside and then with the people around you family and friends and kind of like with massage I think massage helps you connect with another person to your inner community in a very healing helpful way with your skin with your muscles your tendons your ligaments your whole endocrine system starts to relax and there's something that happens in that space where the chemistry of your body seems to have space to heal itself i mean that's not biologically correct but feels spiritually correct you know something happens when i get a massage it's the quietness meditation and prayer also help with that and the walks in nature those are like my my go-tos you're also good at surrounding yourself with artwork that you love. Yes. I love to have beauty all around. This conversation is reminding me of, I was speaking with somebody recently about feeling guilty as an introvert and that I wish for time alone so much and that that quiet time for me is so healing. And he was saying, yes, you have to honor how and who you are and that quietness is super important, even from a nervous system point of view, but that part of our healing is being part of others healing. And so that's like, you're talking about we're, we're meant to be in community or family or near, near others. And that we're healed when we're part of like in a healthy way, being part of their healing, having time for that extra phone call, you know, that kind of stuff. I like that idea. Yes. That's a, That's a brilliant idea. And I'm really, again, using that great superpower I have of curiosity because it goes right up against what we're taught, which is very fascinating to me that there was an Olympian gymnast who decided not to compete in a world stage yesterday to take care of herself. And I thought, well, praise the Lord, we're starting to learn things And I know she'll get blowback. And I thought, 
I am so glad that she's taking care of herself. And you know, she's one of the most brilliant athletes of the world. And she needed to stop. And I thought about that. And it gave me pause. Like, when do we stop for the greater actually good of ourselves as also benefiting everything and everyone we love? So I super duper believe in that honoring our own creative lives, which is connected to our self-care is obviously good for us, which means it's good for everyone around us, which means it's good for the world. Do you have any thoughts about that idea? Yeah, I think it's a foundation. And everything that gives me trust now in the world seems to be, especially those people that are good at taking care of themselves, not at the expense of others. Sometimes when people overgive and overgive, and then all of a sudden they explode because they're just, you know, torn to pieces and they can't go anymore. I thought, yeah, I know that. Is there another way? And, and that's one of the ways I'm exploring of how, when you do back to that whole brain live book, I just finished. Jill Bolte Tellard had a stroke. It took seven years for her to bring herself back. She's got an amazing Ted talk. It's worth watching. She's watched so much of the division and challenges in our world. And she said, this is my real book. This is the book that needed to come out because as you really come to understand how to work with your brain and the brain of others, our relationships, our relationship with self and then our relationship with others, we can create a fantastic, joyful, playful, healing kind of world. And it's so exciting because there's so much challenge going on. All kinds of things happen all the time in the world. And so I take it back and say, how do I heal myself? And then how do I start a dialogue about the things that I see, you know, in relationships, personal and, you know, global that I would like to see different and how to do it with the Ted Lasso kind of way of, you know, believe, have a belief in the goodness and moving forward towards a unity instead of the disunity that can happen in myself and with others. So, yeah, I think it's all, I don't know. I'm kind of excited. I see things happening in your generation and the younger people I watch of a lot of bravery and courage and things that I would never have had the courage to say or do or ponder except very privately. And I'm watching and starting to smile like, huh, I don't know how to support this, but I'm going to support telling the truth and being kind and believing that we can do this thing called humanity on earth and keep things living, keep things going beautifully and make it a good place to live together. What or who has been filling up your inspiration cup these days? Let's see. My mom has been filling up my inspiration cup. I love it when she sits there in the sky chair when she came to visit for my birthday and she goes, I just like watching the grass grow. <laughs> she said, your grandma Summers always said, you know, when you get old enough to just enjoy watching the grass grow, then you're doing a good thing. <laughs> so I actually sat with mom and just watched the grass grow and the leaves flicker and the birds 
moving in and out in the morning. And it was really nice just to be chill. So knowing there's a lot of older people in my life, knowing how they're aging and watching is something that I'm really learning a lot from to make this age of my 60s really count. And then I've been reading Latchin Travels, The Diary of Olive Dame Campbell. And then I've been reading, you know, a lot on the brain. Dale Bredesen, and he's a medical doctor that wrote The Reversal of Alzheimer's. And that is considered impossible. And I'm really looking at it as what is possible. Like back to that word, believe about the brain and what we can do that we don't know we can do. Pretty much the biggest thing is eat well, move more, stress less, love more. That's right out of Dean Ornish's book. I forgot about that book, how much I like that one. It's called Undo It. And it made me think of the Marvel movie series that John and I spent all winter watching. (laughs) Disney Plus, thank you. We watched all 24 movies. I just love all that stuff and undo it. You know, there's a part in the end game where you do the snap and Thanos destroys everything and half the people disappear. Well, Iron Man snaps and everything comes back. And I thought a lot about that, like how to undo the things of the past that don't serve me anymore. And I just love it. It's so simple. Just eat well, move more, stress less, love more. It's just a really good time in life. I'm really happy, Annie Fane. It's so weird. I've had a long life of drama. (laughs) In the Enneagram, I'm what they call a four, which means you're tragic, romantic. So I had to take little things and make them into big things. And that's okay. I don't have to do that as much anymore. I get a greater sense of humor. And if I've totally lost my sense of humor and I'm into the drama and the crying I'm like, that's okay. We're going to go for a walk. And then I just boo-hoo, boo-hoo, and it goes away. It just heals itself because it's attended to. I don't push it down. I said, here, like, come with me. That's one of the things I love about that whole idea with Bonnie Badenoch and the self-regulation teaching children. Instead of, like, doing time out, like, this is what I was taught, like, go in your room and figure it out so then you're like really upset and then you're in your room trying to figure it out and you're what five years old trying to figure out or 10 years old how are you supposed to do that and I had a teacher that taught me in Jin Chin Jitsu that she didn't do that with her kids she did time in when her kids were freaking out and all emotional she wrapped them in her arms in her lap even if they didn't want to be just like come here I'm with you. I'm with you. And just let them cry, you know? And then as they settled, she'd say, what do we need to do for you? Let's, let's figure this out together. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's that community thing. I never knew how to do that. So now I do that with myself. If I'm hyped up and I sometimes can do it for myself, but if I can't do it for myself, I call in John. If can't, if John's not available, I call in my friends. I say, I need some help. I need some help. I need to be heard. And I got people, the first time I did it was so scary because I thought, nobody's going to want to listen to me. This is like poor Karen, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. And I was so surprised, especially like one time when I, I was in a group and I was suicidal ideation, which sounds terrible. But if you're like that, you just know it. It's just 
I'm not going to commit suicide, but I like want to be dead, which is terrible to say, but I've had to struggle with that. And I learned, I took that to a group and they were so horrified that I would not ask for help. And I saw in their eyes, it was like, they really wanted to love me no matter what time of day I had. a I have a little list of numbers that like, no matter what time of day, if that ever came, like I had to call, I made a promise. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Are you serious? Or like, yeah. And it never occurred to me because I was of that idea that you had to go in the closet and figure it out your own dang self, especially if it's messy and difficult and, you know, ugh. and so I don't have that fear anymore of being alone like that. Cause I absolutely know hundred percent, just like I would want to be there for other people surprise there's other people want to be there for me you know and there's not a huge group you got to be careful who you tell your story to because some people are not good with your story and that feels like double like that's like salt in a wound so you just know who you can tell and Brene Brown taught me that you know like the the little circle of the people that you can trust with that really hard stuff your top five yep (laughs) yeah and then once you solve it and like, once it's not so hot, then you can share it. Cause it's like, maybe that can help somebody else. Cause it's, it's not red fire, white, hot, like danger zone. Yeah. And I really do think that everyone's walking around having kind of a hard time and thinking that everyone around them's not having a hard time <laughs> and it just ain't true. Right. That's the great myth of our culture. Yeah. And I think sort of the social media and all that can kind of really make it feel even more true. And my date was Seventeen Magazine and Glamour and, and Better Homes and Gardens. You look and see what was supposed to be happening. But now it's even worse. <laughs> it's like it's so easy to start thinking that everybody else has it. it although at the same time, I will say more than ever before, you realize, no, that's not true. There's more people being very brave and bearing the brunt of it and publicly healing some things that I would never have thought could be healed. And I'm, I'm very proud of the people who, who make it through those hard situations when you just get willing to rise and not just on your own, but where you also maybe even allow other people to help you rise that you love that's even the best. I was wondering if you have any last words of support for anyone who's out there trying hard to create and make and do even when it's hard. Well, I'm about to start another round with Marie Forleo. Uh, She's my business teacher. And when I was rebooting with the farm and wanting to figure everything out and it didn't look like anything was working she came out with an expression that she learned from her mama, which is everything is figure outable. And she's written a book. Everything is figure outable. And I love that book. And I'm about to start with her B school because I have like a lifetime access to kind of reinvent. What do I want to do? What's the business for the rest of my life? Because I never want to totally quit working and being of service. And I just want to figure out what's what's my business what's my new business? How do I want to keep going forward? And so what I would just say to those of, you know, younger persuasion 
and my age in transition is like, let's just keep creating and keep being willing to be open and willing to be vulnerable to new possibilities and willing to change even when it's difficult and willing to say, I don't know the end of the story and that's okay. I know where I'd like to be. And if I don't get there, that's okay too. It's like, I'm just going to keep being more and more present to this moment and, and let that be enough. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun. Take that from someone who was so sad for too long. (laughs) Be sad and then surround yourself with something happy and joyful. I don't believe in pushing the sadness like away. Again, that thing like, don't, don't make your little kid go sit in the alone closet. Maybe go right outside the closet. If they're insisting on being in the closet, then just say, okay, okay, but I'm right here. <laughs> you know, and here I am, like I'm reading a book and when you're ready, I'm right there and we can go for a walk or, you know, and to, to be that kind of kindness to yourself and to others. Time in. Time in. That's it. That's it, girlfriend. Time in. I love that. And I really love talking to you so much. I've, there's so many things you said to me through my life that have stuck and helped me. And also it's fun to try to say things to make you laugh because you've got a great laugh. And I'm just <laughs> so happy that you're in my life. Thank you. Back at you, Annie Fain. Always forever pickles. That's right. <laughs> like to be in touch or have someone you would love to hear interviewed, email me at afainhouse at gmail.com. I also hope that you're inspired to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. New episodes come out every other Tuesday. If you would like to watch these interviews in video form and are curious about the happenings of my little business called Fain House, where I paint and make art prints and gift cards from my watercolor originals, I'd love for you to sign up for my email list. When you do, you get a coupon for 10% off a one-time purchase in my Etsy shop and first dibs on my annual limited edition calendar printing. You will also be granted access to our free private Facebook group, which is the one spot you can watch these interviews. If this all sounds fun to you, go to your web browser and type bit.ly backslash Fainhouse to sign up. That's with a capital F and a capital H in Fainhouse. This is not a weekly newsletter, but rather a list of folks who are interested in hearing from me time to time. You can find this link, as well as links for each person I interview, in the show notes of each episode. I'm Annie Fane Barillon. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll leave you with a quote for the day. Once we believe in ourselves, we can risk curiosity, wonder, spontaneous delight, or any experience that reveals the human spirit. E.E. E. Cummings. Thank you.